no, that's enough. No, stop it, guys. Stop it. Stop it. Uh, g'day, guys. Welcome to the New Spirit Podcast. My name is Isaac, aka Shrek, the host of the New Spirit Podcast, where we interview spearfishing experts, authorities, and characters from around the world. Today's episode: Aaron Edmonds, live, locked and loaded in a little town called Portland in Victoria. I managed to do a live interview with him on. Um, a return, return trip back to Avalon Airport in Melbourne before I flew back to Brisbane. I had been in South Australia uh, doing my stage two uh, paddy freediving course, advanced freediver with Adam Sellers and Eckhart Benkenstein. And uh, if you do want to check that out, go to the Noob Spiro YouTube channel and check out the South Australia video. Um, you get to see some cool footage in there. But um, Aaron, who I'm checking, chatting with today, Absolute legend. Young frother, catches these huge craze. Um, if you want to check out his Instagram, come to noobspirit.com forward slash Aaron. And uh, as usual, all the show notes, links, pictures, everything mentioned is there right at noobspirit.com. And um, while I'm chatting about noobspirit.com, it's much more than uh, just the home of the podcast. There is a shop now where you can buy a whole range of merch. There's pluggers, T-shirts, beanies, hats, hoodies, uh, even some swimsuits for the Lady Spirits. So check it out at noobspiro.com. Um, one thing I'd also like you to check out is the Nooba story section, which you can find up in the menu. Leave me a voicemail, up to three minutes. Lessons learned, your hot tips, something that you've absolutely loved from the podcast and you've implemented it into your own diving. Um, it's a cool journey, the spearfishing experience that we're all part of. And uh, there's lots of stuff that you learn along the way. So if you've got some lessons learned, by all means, share them. Uh, while we're talking about that, on Instagram, ethan.a.story sent me a cool tip. He said, hey, mate, Spiro here from the Sapphire Coast, New South Wales. Just heard episode 154 and had a gear hack for DIY-coated weights. Many car shops and Bunnings, which is a hardware store here in, uh, in Australia, have a thing called Plasti-Dip Spray or Raptor Coating, which you can paint onto the lead weights uh, on your weight belt. This, this will give them a PVC-like coating in a range of colours. So thanks, Ethan, for that awesome tip. Uh, fantastic, man. Thanks for, thanks for sending that through. Um, also want to mention, again, at neptonics.com, where you can use the code NOOB10 to save 10% off all your purchases at Neptonics, the Med, Med Plus Pack. Um, it's got a range of uh, trauma kit for, for spearfishing. If you get, you know, I don't wish it on anyone. If you get bitten by a shark, if you get hit by a prop, if you stab yourself with your dive knife, uh, you, it, it would be in your best interest to have uh, definitely a tourniquet on you. And these Med Plus packs from neptonics.com are really good value check them out at neptonics.com use the code noob10 to save some some cash all right hey let's get into this episode with aa ron here we go today's noob spiro podcast is proudly brought to you in partnership with adreno spearfishing supplies for your next piece of spearfishing equipment head to adreno.com.au flat rate shipping australia wide huge range of gear save 20 dollars on every purchase over 200 when you use the code noob spiro better yet drop into their brisbane sydney melbourne or perth mega stores use the code noob spiro to save online or in store check it out adreno.com.au are you a US-based diver? Great news. Today's show sponsor, Neptonics.com, have got a deal for you. Use the code NOOB10 to save 10% off anything and everything at Neptonics.com. Equipment you can rely on, solid gear that works. Even when you get all limp biscuit on it, you'll struggle to break stuff. 
G'day guys, welcome to the Noob Spirit Podcast. Today we're bloody spoiled. I'm overlooking um, some reef here at Aaron Edmonds hometown, Portland in Victoria. Um, just looks like an absolute phenomenal dive day, Aaron. Is this pretty typical? Yeah, this is pretty typical uh, for Portland. This is a uh, beautiful viz uh, sort of around this time of the year. Uh, we've got my favourite cray spot out here and uh, where I catch right on the big crays. And um, yeah, um, we're, you're pretty spoiled. We've got sun out and yeah, it's awesome. I'll have to get the guns out or, or, or lack thereof. <laughs> Mate, um, what an idyllic location. So what, what what do you reckon the viz will be down there today? Uh, about two to three metres, I think, yeah. Okay. It looks even better than that from up here. You can see the, the reef colouration in the water and the white sand. And um, and so what the swell pouring in here, it looks pretty pretty low today. Is this sort of... Is this the, where, where's the prevalent direction of the swell? So usually we go southwesterly through here and it sort of just wrecks the coastline a, a lot of the time and you, to have a day like this where we're pretty spoiled, um, you don't sort of see um, that sort of area there where it's, um, where it's flat, you don't see that like that very often, it's usually pumping swell through here so. So we're going to have to get him for a dive after this you reckon? Oh yeah, yeah sounds good. <laughs> So Aaron, um, you're 17, you're sponsored by Aimright, you've done um, commercial fishing and you're starting to do commercial diving, you're an underwater photographer, you just froth on sparing. It's awesome to sort of meet you and get to know you, but um, James Beckman originally um, pointed you out to me and suggested I needed to have a chat with you urgently, so it's fantastic I got to stop by and do that. Um, just give us a little bit of a, a brief history of sort of how you got to start in the water and, and spearfishing. So um Originally, I um, I wasn't sort of I was a bit scared of the ocean. I um, I was never sort of a diver or a surfer or a swimmer. Um, I tried to play football and stuff like that, but I was never really good at it. And um, I sort of uh, I started watching my mate Jamie Cannon um, on YouTube. He had a thing earlier on, and he called it Seasick Films. And um, I saw it, and I, it was something different, and I'd never seen like spearfishing before or diving like that, and I was like, oh, I'll go out and do that. So I went and bought some some twenty dollar Audi fins and a body, <laughs> a twenty dollar mask, and yeah, a pole spear, and got myself out there, and um, yeah, I started diving with Jamie and diving off his yacht, and uh, where was this? Uh, here in Portland. So yeah, um, we started diving one of our local reefs and getting green lip abalone and. Jamie sort of uh, taught me from there and we progressed together and Jamie already knew a lot and Jamie had already caught craze and stuff like that and shot some really nice fish so yeah I sort of learnt off him and developed my skills and to where I am now. Mm -hmm. And you started um, recently commercial diving with uh, with Rob Torelli down here. Yeah so I've actually only worked two days with Rob but um, I'm just I'm on his boat I'm being a deckhand so eventually I'll uh, I'll I'll start driving for him hopefully and um, yeah I'm really enjoying that at the moment. Mm -hmm. So is that, um, is that free diving or is it um, surface supplied? So um, it's surface supplied so uh, you've got the hooker or um, you have like bottles on the boat and it sort of just yeah it gives you air and you're connected to an umbilical cord Okay. and um, you're sort of filling up your bags and sending them up um, with air and you're writing on your slate what's going on for the for the day and yeah, you're just watching out for your diver and you're driving the boat in between the waves and it, it gets pretty hectic at times, but yeah, yeah. it's a lot of fun. Yeah, righto. And, um, and you've done some commercial um, fishing as well, chasing squid? Yeah, yeah. So I was on a shark boat, uh, the Tara Lynn, for about 10 months and uh, I did uh, squidding for about three months 
on the same boat. Uh, we sort of converted over, took the spool off, and um, I was down off Tassie for 54 days this year. And wow. um, yeah, that was awesome. Visited Mariah Island, uh, did Tribuna, Hobart, and oh, saw some incredible things. Um, and yeah, had a, had a blast down there with the crew. Did you get to put your dive gear on? I didn't. I didn't. I, um, I got contacted by Harry Young from Offshore Adventures, and he wanted to go for a dive, but um, I didn't have any gear down there. I was supposed to bring it, but missed yeah. out on my chance. Ah, oh, bugger. Oh, next time. Next time you'll know, too. Absolutely. Isn't that sparing, too, a little bit? Like, it's um, it's lessons learned, isn't it? Like, it's making mistakes, and then it's adjusting and learning. What are some of the early lessons you've you've learned in your, in your sparing? Um, don't be scared to ask. Um, always dive with a buddy. And um, the one up, one down rule is such a such a good thing. It's great to have, and um, I I like to carry a gun on me um, at all times, uh, just in case of like sharks or anything like that. But um, yeah, go out there, explore, meet new people, and um, put yourself out there. Mm, cool. All right. Um, how do you work your buddy systems? Um, we we both run our float lines and stuff, and we sort of work within 20 meters of each other. And um, when we're cray diving, it's usually shallower water, so we sort of, it's not as strict, as strict. but yeah, um, we're always uh, always looking out for each other and always uh, holding the catch bag open for someone or someone's diving down to uh, get a cray, we both have a look at the options and discuss it on the surface and yep. yeah, sort of go through that sort of stuff. Like cray diving, like, is quite often like someone will be doing an exploratory dive, it seems like, and then you find a crack and you get a run of crays and then... Sometimes you'll get a blast at them straight away, but often you're just marking the hole and then coming up and signalling your buddy to come over. Is that kind of how you work? Yeah, yeah, that's that's sort of it. And uh, so Jamie and myself will, will work the reef and um, we sort of have an idea um, at this spot here that we know where the cracks are and we, know, we sort, sort of know the map of the reef and um, one person will go to this crack and one person will go to that crack and sort of work that way until we find something. And when we do find something, um, we'll come over and make sure that we're supporting our buddy and making sure that they're okay and that sort of stuff. So with crayfish or lobsters and, and so you, you, you're coming out from the beach, you're on a rocky shoreline, you kind of understand the topography of the reef. Where are you finding them? Are you finding them on um, the, the off-current side, the on-current side? Are you are you, are you deep? Are you shallow? Um, what are you sort of looking for? So you... Here in Victoria, like on my on the spots that Jamie and I dive, um, you're sort of looking out for crayweed. Um, it's sort of a yep. big indication. Uh, abalone on the rocks as well. Yep. That's what you're looking for. Because um, they predate on it. It's their food. Yeah, yep. And um, what's the relationship between that um, cray grass, or I think sometimes it gets called um, eel grass, or it's called like in New Zealand we have similar stuff and it's like as soon as you come on that and I noticed the same thing when we were in South Australia quite often it's a good indicator that there's craze around do you understand the relationship between that and craze um yes I do I, I see it here as well um but we, we call it crayweed here and um sort of when you, you see it a lot over in South Australia as you said and you see it on a lot of the shallow reefs here in Victoria as well and um, sort of, as you said, when you f- when you find that sort of stuff, you know that you're sort of in a good area and sort of looking under every ledge is you're looking for real sharp, dark ledges and like you you got to put yourself there uh, into those places where you you got to not be scared to look in that cave or um, put yourself under that ledge. It's um it's definitely gets a lot of it's a lot to get used to. Yeah. But um yeah, once you sort of overcome that fear, you you come good. And. What about in terms of, so you're looking in these holes, what are this kind of the risks? Um, you can get stuck. 
Um, how do you, how would you get stuck? Uh, wedging yourself in, trying to get a cray. It's um, your weight belt can get caught. You can get wrapped up in the weed. Um, yeah, you can you can push yourself too far and black out. Okay, cool. They're all they're all sort of the risks I'd identified too. Maybe eels. Do you get eels in there as well? Um, I've never actually seen eels when hunting crays, but um, I know that a lot of people have seen wobbygongs and stuff like that, and they're sort of something that you got to take into consideration. Um, you don't want a wobby latching onto your hand when you're trying to grab a cray. That's that's not fun. No one wants that. So, so specifically with getting stuck in a crack, um, what are your sort of your risk mitigation strategies what are you doing so that you and your buddy if you do get stuck what do you do what's your process so we're always watching each other when we're diving and we're always watching what each other's doing when we're grabbing a cray especially um and if i was to get stuck and i couldn't get myself out you just got to stay calm and relaxed in the ledge and cross your fin cross your fins and keep them crossed um it's a good idea to to do that because it notifies your buddy diver, you stay still, cross your fins and he can pull you out backwards. Um, that's sort of something that we run here but we've, we've never really had to use that here. Have you, oh, I've had a guy, <laughs> he thought I was stuck and he started wrenching me out of this hole when I wasn't stuck and and he's pulled me and I've rammed my head into the top of the cave. <laughs> oh, Have you ever had anything like that or like what's the closest, what's the closest you've come, what are some of the near misses in that? Um... Well, I had a really scary uh, sort of situation when I was over in South Australia. I, I was on uh, the air compressor of the hooker and um, I dove down into a ledge and we were, we were in about uh, 10 to 15 metres of water. And uh, I went inside and there was like a little cuttlefish sitting off to my right side and there was um, all these little crays, maybe about a kilo, a kilo and a half, maybe two kilo. And then there was this really, really big cray at the back, would have been three, nearly four kilo. And I was just moving, sweeping these crays out of the way. There would have been about like 10 small crays in there. And this one big guy, and I was trying to get to him and I had my torch with me and my torch turned off and I um, went, went to lunge for this cray. And I knocked my reg out of my mouth and um, oh, I was whizzing around the cave and like I only had a, about a foot of room to get my head in. I could just hear the drumming of the bubbles in my ears. <laughs> and it was just freaking me out. And I, um, I grabbed my torch and put it in my mouth thinking it was my reg and tried to suck on that. And that, that definitely wasn't my reg. So um, <laughs> I, I was freaking out. And this is, this is my first time ever diving for craze as well. Yeah. So um, I backed myself out of the ledge and managed to put my reg in my mouth and I came to the surface pretty quick. But, yeah. um, Rig, yeah. diving on scuba like as uh, I've, I've had some experience doing it too when I started in New Zealand like we were diving deeper reef systems and chasing crayfish on, on scuba was pretty common um, it's 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 like you tend to grow into your free diving and you no longer really use scuba but there are lots of guys that do it um, and, and girls as well but um, when a rig it sounds like your rig went into free flow next to your ear is that sort of what happened or is that the drumming sound yeah, it was sort of the bu- bubbles hitting the top of the oh, yeah. the the rock, and yeah, it was it was like one of the worst things. It made me dizzy, like the the sound of the drumming of the the bubbles hitting the roof of the the roof of the cave. Yeah, yeah, and but backing yourself out, and then what? You went in for a fresh approach, or nah? I, you just I, I looked yourself. around, looked for my buddy diver. I thought he was right behind me, and yeah, he wasn't there, and I um I sort of uh I just. Yeah, sort of forgot about that cray, and I was like, no, there's going to be more here, so, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Um, so you, you've been really successful with crays, though. To, um, like, you've, you've got a number of crays over four kilograms, which is about, in American speak, we're talking maybe around that nine-pound-plus mark, which is a big lobster. Um, walk us through 
um, getting a big cray because they're quite nasty. Like they they can actually do some damage. Yeah. So uh, the big crays there, they're definitely not for the the faint-hearted. Like um, yeah, you you're playing with a a cray that can potentially break fingers or break your hand and put, put serious holes in you. Like um, I've had gloves taken off my hands from them. I've had them grab onto my my wrist. I've had one recently just grab around my chest and. It was digging into my collarbone. That that wasn't fun. But <laughs> yeah, um, your approach on bigger crays definitely has to be different. Um, they they seem to be a bit more standoffish. They um they sort of they're a bit more calm and they think that they're top shit. They they sort of sit there and you can you can get closer to them. I find that big crays are a bit slower than the um the smaller crays mm. and uh, not as skittish. But yeah, that's just my experience. When you're holding the horns, there's a lot of spikes on them. A spiny, you know, spiny lobster, really. Um, when they start kicking and you're holding on to these spiny things in your hands, like if you've got a, a spine in a delicate part of your hands and they kick, it really makes you want to let go, doesn't it? It does, but, I mean, the reward's there and, like, you um, you got to put yourself in that mindset that you're not letting go. You're not going to let go of this, this, this force of nature. He's, yeah. he's one big boy and, yeah, you it's the determination that you've got to have. If you're going in there um, and you're like, oh, oh, maybe I'll let go or maybe I'll miss this cray, you know, no, your mindset's going to be, yes, yes, I'm going to go in there, I'm going to catch this cray and I'm going to come out. And, yeah, it's, you've got to have that mindset. Mm. I saw that with my dive buddy Cameron two days ago, just sheer determination. He's got this military background. The, the bloke, he's tenacious, like he's not going to give up once he's got his target. He's boom, he's in there. And uh, he's still learning the freediving side of things, but that determination just gets him over the line a lot of the time. Um, when you're taking new divers out and you're teaching them how to grab a lobster or a cray, um, what are some, how do you w- walk me through your process of getting someone onto their first lobster? So first of all, we're talking about ground. Um, what sort of ground that you're looking for, where you're diving and uh, your approach on crays. Um, a lot of people, uh, they swim over ground and like in the beginning like months or years of uh, spearing or diving um, and they, they're swimming over perfect cray ground. Um, there's, there's ground varies, you've got holes, you've got boulders, you've got big ledges with big cracks and sharp ledges and uh, really deep ledges. Um, you've really got to look out for that sort of stuff and uh, really focus on that. Okay, and what about weed and stuff like that that can really sort of intimidate people, particularly when there's surge and there's, there's um, water movement sort of forwards and backwards? Um, how do you sort of get them comfortable? Do you teach them to grip rocks with their legs or um, wedge themselves so that they can sort of hold hold position? Or So when you're diving for craze, uh, typically putting yourself into a ledge, you want to be comfortable at all times. You never want to put yourself in a place where you're not comfortable or you're you're not happy with how you're sitting and um, definitely being weighted correctly helps as well. Um, if you're weighted correctly and you're not sort of um, floating up when you're diving for craze, um, that definitely helps a lot. Um, you've got to be careful though, like you don't want to overweight yourself either. Um, but weighting yourself correctly, um, making sure that you're comfortable in the ledge, uh, assessing the situation before you go in to grab that craze, look at your options, look where it may go, look where you can go. Um, if there's terrain there like rocks that you can move out of the way to get to make it a bit more roomy or yeah definitely work on that as well okay cool you said um, waiting yourself correctly for, for, for crayfish or lobster like in my experience a lot of the lobster we catch is very shallow like we're talking sub five meters so it's different from our typical or, 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 or common 
sort of free dive um, weighting, which is where we want to be neutral at 10. When you're cray diving, you want to be neutral much shallower. So according to a strict free diving definition, often we're overweighted. However, it's kind of like weighting yourself for the context correctly. Is that how you would sort of describe it? Yeah, yeah. So when I went and did my free dive course, um, a lot of the blokes uh, there, um, like Eckhart and Adam Sowers, they, they all freaked out when I was wearing like eight weights on my weight belt. They were a bit scared for me and um, they told me to take them all off and, and, and then find out how, how many you need. And um, that really surprised me because like I'm diving, as you said, sub five metres uh, for craze and you need to be weighted. You need to be able to sit on the bottom even if you're hunting fish like snapper or snook or um, whiting. You need to be able to sit on the grass and it's not like real deep but it's, it's deep enough that you need that weight. Yeah. So, yeah. otherwise you find yourself taking like half breaths and holding on to rocks and and that's the, not fun. Nah, like, and your fins are up in the air, and if your fins are up, you're not you're not catching fish, are you? Exactly, and that's the thing. That's the same thing with cray diving. You um, you want to be able to sit in that ledge and not be floating up and getting pinned against the against the roof. Like, that's uh, that's not fun. And I've been in that situation before. Mm, cool. Talking about um, situations maybe that have spooked you, uh, what's one of the scariest things that's happened to you out spearfishing and, um, and what did you learn from it? Um, probably uh, when I cramped up in the water, I was inside of a cave and um, went through this little hole and my, my dive buddy was supposedly right behind me. He was supposed to be right behind me. I told him that there was going to be a cray there. This cray would have been about two kilo and... Um, he dropped his torch and he was like sort of fiddling around looking for that and I dove down not knowing that he wasn't right behind me and I went inside this cave and I uh, I cramped up in my lower back and in my um in my calf and uh, I was sort of stuck there. I crossed my I tried crossing my fins but I couldn't do that because of my leg and I couldn't sort of bend around and try and get out of this hole because I was cramped up. I actually had a hold of the cray and I tried putting the cray out so he could grab it but he wasn't there. And um, I sort of had to put myself into a pin drop and push myself out, but that was hurting my back. And yeah, it was um, it was pretty scary. And I um, I come to the surface and I could feel the tingling in my head, and I could see stars. And I called it a day after that. But yeah, no, that was that was definitely something that I don't want to go through again. Sounds like you did the right thing calling it a day. Like that sounds like you're on the verge of a samba or a loss of motor control, and that's you know that should end a dive day. A lot of people probably continue on past that so where did you learn that um i learned that through um your podcast i learned it through um a lot of other divers a lot of senior divers that i dive with i um yeah so yeah like older divers are a great source of information man like and that's what you want from them you want those tips those hard-earned bits of wisdom and that like doing this free diving course you've, you've recently done it too um it's like a lot of the stuff we were learning is just this one percent and the older divers they can give you these one percent things that make a huge difference like and spearfishing whether it's chasing crayfish fish or it's learning to free dive is this journey of learning these very small micro skills that give you that little small advantage and you just froth on it and it just keeps going it keeps getting better and um, I remember talking in the car earlier with you and you were talking about like diving with different people in different places and that what are some of the lessons learned I know you've done some diving in Melbourne with uh, with James what give, give me some of the people that have imparted and instilled some of the lessons that you've you've loved learning James is fantastic um He's taught me so many things and I've been talking to James right before, right at the beginning of my diving and um, he's helped me every step of the way and um, he's taught me how to, he taught me how to find craze, how to look for craze. He's, I, I shot my first tuna with him 
and um, yeah, I, he just stepped me through every process and sort of taught me how to approach fish, how to hunt fish. He learning from people like him is is just unreal. And um, over at the south in South Australia, when I did my free dive course, I met so many amazing people over there. There was 26 of us in the group, and um, oh, the social aspect of it, learning what other people how other people. Uh, equalise or how they they fin or how they find this easier or how they find that easier it um it really helped um so i'm down here i did the same sort of retreat there was two groups back to back um and you did the first group with and there was a bigger group 26 i think and cam and i's group we only had about eight of eight of us um but for, for people unfamiliar with the Killsby retreat with Adam Sellers uh, and, and Eckhart Benkenstein, um, how would you sort of describe the experience and what do you actually do? How did you get involved with it? Well, first of all, before I get into anything, go and do it. Go and do it for yourself. It's unreal. The social aspect of it is just phenomenal. Like the people that you meet and uh, the, the stuff that you learn through these guys is just it's awesome. Like I had an absolute blast, and I'll, I'll be going back. Like um, you get to dive one of the, the the best diving locations in Australia, which is Killsby Sinkhole, and um, yeah, that was just awesome. But um, no, like the the free dive course helped me with my meditation and learning how to breathe properly. I was um I was actually hyperventilating um a lot of the time when I first started diving, and I didn't know how to didn't know the difference between properly breathing and how to how to fill your the your stomach and like breathe with your stomach and not with your lungs like um yeah yeah a lot of that sort of stuff I learned through Eckhart and uh, Adam Sowers um phenomenal diver he's dove to 75 meters um he he was so good to learn from and he made the whole experience so much easier and so much more understanding he uh he helped in every aspect of from finning to breathing um, your mindset is a big thing. If you it, you might be able to hold your breath and you might be able to go down and equalise, but it's it's all in the head as well. Like it's it's there's so many aspects to it. You're a hunter. You're a spearer. You love that side of things, and yet here you are going away to a free diving retreat, um, doing your stage one course. It's uh it's something that a lot of spearers consider, but a lot of people don't do it. Um, in your mind, like you, you, you had some experience under your belt as a Spiro before you went and did this. So was, you weren't going in green, um, but you had some huge takeaways even just doing a stage one. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. Like um, I, I ended up uh, because I felt comfortable in their environment. Like I ha- would never be able to do it outside of their environment of being in the pool or anything like that. Um, I had all these um, like world class instructors around me, um, and they were. They were stepping me through it all the way and I was able to hold my breath for four minutes and 40 seconds um, where I wouldn't be able to do that like out in the ocean or um, in the local pool, like not having that guidance there. And um, I was able to dive to uh, 27 metres like um, in crystal clear water. You can't do that in the ocean off Portland. Like your vis at best is uh, seven metres. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. <laughs> yeah, and, lo- and diving on a line in crystal clean water with in a safe controlled environment it, it really is the place to work on some of the micro skills that we use in, in, in day-to-day spearing isn't it absolutely like um morgan was t- uh, one of their instructors he was telling me uh like that my finning technique was a bit off and um was sort of focusing on that and um yeah i, I 
I tweaked my, as I said, my breathing. I learned how to breathe a lot better and the meditation side of things really helped me. I was able to put my body to sleep when I was doing my breath hold and that's really important when you're free diving and um, especially if you're going down for a cray, cray dive and like you know that you're diving deep. It's um it's really important and you can put all those little things into your spear fishing and you, there's a lot to take away from it. Yeah, awesome, man. So the Killsby Sinkhole Retreat, I just did it as well with Cam. I did my stage two and we just had an absolute blast, man. I, I was the same as you and, um, you know, I talk spearing every other week and I and I bloody, like there was that much things that just blew my mind and I, I had a ball too, man. And I'm, I'm like you, I, I would definitely encourage a lot of people to have a crack as well. If your buddy had a blackout on your next spearfishing trip, think, what would the outcome of that be? Do you know how to revive someone from a blackout? Would you even be in a position to do something about it? Or would you be diving, chasing after a fish as your buddy sinks down to the bottom of the ocean? Do you know where most blackouts happen? Do you know what you can do to minimize your risk of having a blackout? My name is Ted Hardy, and I'm the founder of freedivingsafety.com. In my free online course, you will learn the truth about shallow water blackout, the myth of I don't push myself, I know my limits, I'm in tune with my body, how to minimize your risk of having a blackout, and most importantly, how to save your buddy's life if they have one. Visit freedivingsafety.com to sign up for your free course today. Dive safe out there. It's, it's not even that hard. All right, so what about funny stuff? Who's your, who's your dive buddies? I bet, you, I bet you've got some some good stories. Yeah, so um, I got... My best mate Jamie Cannon, who like I dive with 90% of the time, and he has, as I said, been there since day one. And like, he, 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 I wish he was here today. Um, but um, yeah, we dive with each other all the time, and we've had some great experiences out on the boat. And um, yeah, I, I wouldn't wouldn't trade a minute with him. Like, it's he's fantastic to be around, and we always have a laugh and. We've, we've been through, through some stuff. We went to Vanuatu together. Okay. Um, that was unreal. Dove some places that have never even been dove by, um, by white people. So Wow. That was phenomenal. Cool. And and funny stuff with them? Like, can you remember a specific story? Um, yeah, yeah. We are out on the boat and um, we just just got some snapper. And um, it was actually line fishing. And... Um, yeah, I caught a snapper and he's sort of mucking around with his albatross, feeding his albatross, and um, they were sort of on the other boat, carry, upside of the boat, carrying on, and I got this snapper in the boat, and he's like, oh, I was like, oh, how do I get the hook out of its mouth? And he goes, stick your finger in its mouth. So, <laughs> so I stuck my finger in its mouth, and it's pissing out blood, and it's all over the boat, and oh, it was. Yeah. So the snapper bit you. Yeah, the snapper bit <laughs> But yeah. Mate, they bite and they munch all oh, sorts of tough stuff true. down on the bottom. That's a tarred mouth to put a finger in, man. But I didn't know, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You don't know what you don't know, yeah. for sure. I mean, there's always like um the other sort of stuff where you're, you're always forgetting your gear and you, you drive four hours to go dive over in South Australia and you, you look in the back of the car and you've gotten everything ready and you're walking down to the beach and then you go, oh shit, I forgot my fins. <laughs> like, um, you're a no fins diver well, for the day. So uh, yeah, that's that's happened a few times, and like, uh, you need yeah. the name Spiro Dive Day checklist, man. Yeah, I do. I really do. <laughs> I really do. I used to put it up in my shed, and I was like, if I got a dive day, I never wanted to spoil the opportunity. So I used to just like I would lay everything out, and I put my dive bag there, and I'd make sure I had everything before, I, and I'd go against the checklist, and then I'd put it in my bag, and I'd go, and then after a while, you start to sort of 
have that process internalised and you no, really, no longer really need the checklist but you still do all those checks and that's a huge one. Um, well, photography is something you froth on. You've got an Instagram handle. What is it? Uh, my Instagram is uh, a.edmondsphotography. Okay. And, um, yeah, I've been sort of – I started to, off taking photos before I even started diving and um, I had sort of like a, a little camera and – uh, I thought that I was great, but I wasn't that great. And um, <laughs> I mean, I was just learning. And I um, I watched uh, people like the likes of Peter McKinnon and um, a lot of those people like that. And um, I sort of getting starting to get into the sort of the cinema photography side of things, watching David Achoa and uh, James Beckman and people like that. And um, yeah, it sort of just inspired me to go out there and sort of start taking my own photos. Like um, I've got locations like Killsby Sinkhole and Ewan's Ponds and. Uh, out here, like you're taking photos of awesome crayfish, and um, yeah, I, I really started to enjoy that. And I, I've, I started editing on my phone. I, I edit all my photos st- still on my phone. How do you do that? Uh, just through Photoshop Express. Okay. Yeah. So all my photos are all um, edited and saved onto my phone through the GoPro app. So. Okay. Yeah. So you sync your GoPro with your phone, you connect it wirelessly, and then you and then you just um, editing it in in Photoshop Express. Yeah, yep, yeah. Shit, and I've been doing that for two and a half years now. So, so all, is is most of your photography coming off a of GoPro? Uh ninety percent of it, yeah. Okay, cool. And what, so what what's your rigs? Give us a run through. Um, so I've I started off as with a uh, Hero twenty eighteen, and that was a, sort of the first camera that I used, and and then I drowned that. Um, and then is that got, a is that a five? No, it's a, just the Hero 2018. Okay, yeah. I don't even know. Yeah, it's uh, it was sort of a model that they did that was sort of like a um, a in between in between the seven and the five. It okay. Was, yeah, sort of interesting one. And um, yeah, we I got the seven and I uh, I filmed with that for a little while and then I drowned it too. And um, I just recently bought the Hero Eight and the Hero Nine in the same week. Um, I bought the Hero 8 and then the next day found out that the Hero 9 was coming out and I was like, oh, I can't miss out on this. So <laughs> went and got that as well. So They have re- they released a couple of GoPros in quick succession and there's been a f- couple of issues with it with software and stuff. Have you had much technical issues with them? Yeah, I, I lost a GoPro to it, um, to some of the technical issues. I, I was uh, updating my GoPro and had someone give me a phone call in the middle of updating my GoPro and completely lost my GoPro. It just fried it. Holy so, shit. Yeah. Just, so what, did you get a replacement or? Oh, I haven't looked into that yet, but yeah. It's yeah, just, yeah. yeah. No, it caused me a lot of trouble and I wasn't able to film for a few weeks because of it. So They're an impressive little rig considering they're just a, you know, like a tiny little camera um, with a with a relatively small sensor compared to some of the, like, the bigger photo, photography rigs and that. Um, so, but, but walk us through your process. What are the... Um, what are your photography settings? So do you change them from the standard stock standards? Or? Yeah, I do. So um, I, I I've got a whole list of settings. I don't know them off the top of my head, but okay. um, I run all my stuff at um, 4K at 240 frames per second on the Hero 9 and the Hero 8, and um, that's been fantastic at the moment. Like, um, it just chews through battery though. It does, and it chews through battery and it chews through uh, storage as well. But I mean, I'm I carry a lot of batteries with me now. I, I carry at least three for the day. So yeah. so running 4K at Max frame rate. So is it twenty four frames per second? Uh yeah, yeah. Okay, so you're not, you're running NTSC, like instead of PAL, like the region settings. Ah, uh, <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. No, no, no. That's PAL. That's PAL. Twenty five is is PAL. Um. Okay, so you're running PAL settings. You you're running really fast frame rates in four K. How long are you getting out of a battery, and what size card are you using? SD card. I'm getting about an hour and a half out of um out of sort of my GoPros and. Um, I, I run a 125 gig uh, gold sand disc yeah, uh, yeah, SD yeah. card, 
um, I find that they're the best and that sort of um, holds enough for what I need. Yeah. yeah I, can, I can usually get about four days diving in one of them. Um, yeah. I sort of, I turn my GoPro, I record uh, by just hitting the, the record button and it turns the GoPro on. So I'm saving a lot of battery instead yeah, of right leaving on. my GoPro on all the time. And it's it's a real steep learning curve, isn't it? Like like the the shots I used to get out of my GoPros are slowly getting better, but like there's the head angle with the GoPro where you know the fish you shoots out of out of the top of the shot and stuff like that. How do you get around things like that? Um, it's it's all pretty much just luck. Like um, you have to have your your GoPro sort of the same level as what your mask is, um, and make sure that your screws really really tight. Um, using the GoPro uh, screw tool is real handy. I use that a lot. Um, also having a case on your GoPro helps. Like you can ding it up in cray ledges and stuff like that. And even if it's get thro- getting thrown around the boat and a weight belt ends up landing on it, I've had that happen before. Um, it just, yeah, you um, you got to look after your so GoPro. So that, that's the, the super suit? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And are you using a, a mask with an integrated um, GoPro um, mounting point or are you using the head strap? Yeah, so um, I'm using the integrated mask. I'm using the YBS mask at the moment. I've uh, I've used Ocean Hunter in the past. I've used Mares. Um, I've used a lot of brands, but I just find that the the, the YBS one's usually the one that I use all the time. Yeah, right. I haven't heard that mask recommended before, so I might check it out. Is that a twin lens or is it a single lens setup? Uh that's a that's a twin lens. Yeah. Yeah, sweet. All right, cool, and. Um, Awesome. So that's your kind of your GoPro journey. And what are you you're shooting on other stuff? What do you what, what where do you want to go to from here with your photography? I want to buy into a serious camera. I've been looking at the uh, Sony A7X Mark III. Oh, um, yeah, it's a it's great a lot ca- of camera. It's a lot of camera, um, and it's something that I want to look into now um, that I've I've got another job and I'm making some more money. So um, I want to I want to get into serious photography. And as I said, I follow people like James and. Um, David Ochoa, um, who are uh, like world class, like yeah. David's like world class. He's, he's the best of the best. And, yeah. Um, there's people like that that I'll, I want to, I aspire to be like. So. Yeah. Awesome, yeah. man. And and Travis from Aimright reached out to you after seeing some of your photography on Instagram, and uh, and now you got a little bit of a sponsorship going with Aimright Australia. Tell us a little bit about 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 that. Yeah. So um, I. Originally, I walked into Adreno and I saw like the Aimrat suit all over Instagram, and I was like, "Oh, I could, I could, I could definitely see myself in one of them." And I'd seen it all over Instagram, thinking it was like a pro suit and stuff like that. And I was like, "Oh, yeah, I want one of them." And I was the, the biggest noob. Like I, I hadn't even really used a spear gun before, and I went out and I, I got this suit for my birthday before I, because I thought it looked cool. And um, yeah, I jumped in Ewan's Ponds about a week later and got some photos and that photo ended up going straight up on the Aimrot Instagram account and um, it went on the Adreno website, uh, um, Instagram as well and yeah, it sort of just blew up from there and then Travis contacted me um, after I sort of started taking photos for him for about six months and um, he said, oh, do you want to try this gun? It was the, the MV Pro 120 railgun and um, yeah, I started using that and I did a little review on that for him and um Shot some sweet with it. I, as I said, I wasn't that great. I shot some salmon with it. Took it over to Vanuatu. Um, ended up shooting a two coal trout over there. Yeah, and, nice. Yeah, no, that was that was great fun over there. Sick. But um, and then Travis sort of started to see that I was um progressing, and I contacted him and said, look, I want to start stepping up my spearing game. I want I want to shoot tuna out there in town. And next year, I want to shoot a barrel. So um, I contacted him and I said. 
this is the gun that I want. I want to build it like this. And uh, he's just recently sent me a 135 Outrage double roller with carbon Kevlar-infused barrel. Okay. It's got an 8.5 mil shaft and it's, it's it, a pump, it pumps, man. Like, it is so cool. It's so much fun to use and it's dead accurate and oh, I I um wouldn't wouldn't have anything else. Like, yeah, cool. It's fantastic. So Chalk and Tuna, you, um, you've, you've managed to beat your own record three sort of consecutive times within a very short space of time. Walk us through the learning curve on Southern Bluefin Tuna for yourself. It was a steep learning curve. I, um, I've, I had chased Tuna a lot, like a lot, a lot before, um, before spearing my first one, but it had always been the wrong day. Like we had wind and it was just so hard to sort of get my head around it. And um, I, I learned from Peter, people like Peter Riddle, um, and James Beckman and um, yeah I, I got myself on a trip one time um, I had the new gun and I'd had it for about two weeks and I was like oh, I need to go make this happen the tuna in Melbourne um, I'm just going to jump on this opportunity so I organised my own boat and I uh, organised my own crew and uh, we sort of set it up we didn't have the best boaty but um, we made do with what we had and James sort of directed him what to do and we got onto our first course tuner and I remember they're, they're hyping me up. They're like, oh, there's this tuner over the side of the boat. Like, oh, oh, you could shoot it from the surface. You could shoot it from the boat. And I was like, oh, shit. And so I'm like, I'm like rushing, trying to get my gear on. My heart rate's up. And, um, yeah, I'm looking over the side and I'm seeing these heads, like they're sunning themselves. We've got the motor turned off and the school's just all around the boat. And um, I jumped over the side and uh, swam into the school and James sort of talked me through it, said, take your time and be slow. And... Oh, I didn't even hear that. That just went over the top of my head. And it was just tuna, tuna, tuna right there. Let's shoot that. And um, I dove down into the school and uh, I shot the first fish and the spear bounced off the midsection of the fish and the fish swam away. Oh. And I got to the surface and oh, oh, I missed it. Uh, I shot the fish and oh, the spear bounced off. And it's like, oh, bugger. And James is like, reload your shaft. Like, look, at, look at your feet. And like the tuna were just vortexing below my feet and I'm looking down and there's like 40 tuna just at my feet. And um, I reloaded my gun and I, uh, I dove straight back down in the school and I shot this fish. It sort of come in and, and it sort of turned away and come back in and it was really wary of me. And I took a long shot and hit it in the back left quarter and straight out the right shoulder. And oh, nice. Just above the peck fin. And... Um, yeah, it injured the fish enough that it was an easy enough fight, but it took off um, and the fight went screaming along the surface for the start. And I put my, I sort of didn't know what to do with my gun. I let go of my gun. James said he'd hold on to it and he didn't because he had the, he forgot his fins that day and forgot it. And I forgot my weight belt. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it was a bit of a shit show and uh, the line was everywhere and there was wire tangled up in the in the float line um, and. Yeah, I, I had no idea how to fight, fight tuna. I'd seen videos on, like, uh, dog tooth tuna and people hunting stuff like that, and they're reefing the fish up, they're pulling it in fast, and, like, that's not that's not how you play a boyfriend. You sort of just give it room when it needs it and just sort of pull it in slowly. And Why? why? Because, like, their meat's really soft, and you don't need to on these fish. Um, you, they're not diving down into the reef. They're not um, going to rub the shaft out in the rocks. Um, yeah, they're... They're not. They don't fight as hard as like a kingy or a um. Well, they fight as hard, but they don't. Not as dirty fighters as like a dog tooth or something like that. Yeah. Righto. Okay. So you take your time. You you sort of you take in line when it gives it to you, or yeah, it's not fighting. Yeah. And then when he tries to roar off, you just you let him take a bit back. Is yeah. That right? Exactly. It's sort of it's just like line, um line fishing. Like you you you're using essentially your drag. You are the drag. 
um, he's pulling it in and when he sort of tugs and if you, you can see that you've done a, given a good shot then um, yeah sort of by all means sort of start to pull him in a bit faster but um, what happens if you give them too much line they they sort of they sort of try to dive yeah. um, and they sort of swim around and um, yeah it, it gets away from you but it's also in saying that like um as soon as you get close to these fish, they, they freak out. Like um, if you have a, a second diver, dive down on one and they freak out and sort of run then. And um, yeah, that's that's not fun. And my first tuna actually landed without gloves. I um, the, <laughs> got it right up to the shooting line and James come along with the scooter and I don't know, it must have scared the fish. And uh, um, yeah, it, it ran through my hands and the wire just tore through my fingers. And, yeah, just cut all along my fingers. Um, and the reason why I didn't have any gloves because I was too excited. Like, um, uh, these guys on the boat were hyping me up, so, yeah. Yeah. It's hard not to, eh? Like, spearfishing's this weird sport sometimes. It's like, you know, we're about as excited as humanly possible, and then all of a sudden you've got to be extremely self-controlled in order to give, you know, to not spook the fish and allow it to come in close enough. How do you manage those emotions, particularly when you're, encountering like these special you know someone's called them david attenborough moments you know where just nature turns it on for you and you get you're you've got front center tickets to the best show in the world and you've got a spear gun in your hands and you're about to shoot the fish of a lifetime how do you manage that at first i didn't um at first it was like cray diving like you, you get all excited you're all pumped up and like i jumped in the water and like you, you cook your first shot like um because you're so excited and like the first time ever seeing tuna in the water like you're like, wow, like you see the size of these fish and it just doesn't seem real. As you said, David Attenborough moment, it's just unreal. And um, I've sort of learnt now to, when you're in the boat, you sort of act as though like you're not drunk, but you're, you're like, you're drowsy. You're like you sort of relax yourself and you sort of don't think about it too much. You you, you don't you don't think that you're going to shoot a fish. Like you go in with the, um, the intentions of swimming with the fish. You're not going in there to for the sole purpose of shooting a fish. Um, you jump in the water, you sort of, you're swimming over to the school, you're getting puffed up, you're getting puffed from, like, exhausted from swimming over to the school and you sort of just got to relax yourself and remember to breathe and that's where the freediving stuff come in handy um, and you just, you swim over to the school, once you start seeing fish, you, you're just relaxing yourself on the surface, you can sort of stop, take your 10, 15, 20 seconds to breathe, if, making sure that the tuna is still below you and um, then diving down into the school and being completely relaxed and just taking it peacefully, like not being so pumped up. Like you don't have to shoot a fish. You, you're going to get that chance later on in the day anyway. So um, as long as the tuna are abundant, like they are here in Melbourne. But um, you just got to be like relaxed and you get down into the school and you have your gun out in front of you and relax your shoulders, relax your neck and just wait for that fish to swim in front of you. You don't sort of try and follow that fish. You just got to have your gun out in front of you and make make sure that that, that gun doesn't spook them. Uh, it's got to be sitting level and you've got to keep yourself straight and um, no fast jerky movements. It's um, it's all about staying relaxed. So you got your new, what, where do you have your buoyancy set and where are you diving down to? Because sometimes like if you're, you know, you start to get into that sink phase when you get past say, like if you drop past much past 10, you might fall into a slight sink phase. And then you sort of got to kick up and that can arouse the fish, I'd imagine. And then if you're too shallow, like, you just start coming back towards the surface. So what's the sweet spot? Um, and in terms of what are the fish like? Where do they like you to be in the water column? 
Um, so I've shot most of my tuna within like the five to ten meter mark. Um, and I've sort of I run not uh, two less weights than what I'd run when I'm cray diving, um, just for safety purposes. And um, yeah, I, I sort of dove down. Uh, I dive down into the school and I sort of try and level myself out. And uh, I'm sort of just kicking just enough to sort of keep myself on that downward sort of diagonal until I'm lining up for a fish. Um, as I said, I, I run sort of the same weight set up as um, cray diving, but just just a little bit less. Okay, cool. And shot placement. So you said you've got your gun sort of relaxed on a level and because it can spook the fish. If, if your silhouette's all of a sudden three metres long with a gun, and they're big guns too when you're using out there, so you've got your gun in a, in, a, in a nice position. Are you extending and taking a shot? And what, what's your shot placement on the fish? Ideal. So I usually have my, my shooting hand always on the handle, not on the trigger, of course, but I'm always on the um, handle and one in my right hand about midway up the gun and sort of have that tucked in underneath my body and I'm diving down so then that I can, I can extend um, outwards. I... Um, I try and aim for the midsection of the fish. So um, one fish I shot with uh, James Cheney off Bowen Heads, same place that I've shot all my other tuna. I um, I hit it straight through the lateral arteries and straight through the spine and stoned the fish. Uh, well, I, I spun the fish and it, it had barely any movement. That's got to be a stoke moment. Oh, it was it was unreal. Like you, you see this school of tuna come in and they're swimming past and then it just stops because you've, you've, you put the spear into it and it just goes just dead in the water and it was... It was um, pretty awesome to just pull it up and have no fight. And I landed the fish and put the fish in the boat. And the other boat that was out out of this um, swam up to the boat and he saw the tail of the fish and he goes, "What? You got one?" I said, <laughs> "Yeah, yeah, I stoned it." He goes, "Fair dinkum." Well, he goes, "It took you like two minutes." I said, "It's just how you, just how it is sometimes." Yeah, like, um, yeah but that two minutes took you, you know, three years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And you made the most of the moment when it came to you. Oh, for sure, yeah. And um, like with every tuna that I've shot, I've, um, I always think it's going to be my last. Like um, I, I take it as it comes and when it comes and when I get one, I, I, I post about it on social media because I, I love shooting fish and I love, I love showing people what I've caught and stuff like that. And um, yeah, it's, I take it as the last fish that I might shoot. It's, yeah. So you've upgraded your, because you're still a junior, you're 17 years old, you've shot bloody plenty of these Southern Blue for now, you, you're making me envious of my old age. Um, what's your PB at this stage? My PB would be about 30 kilo um, with Eckhart, um, but unfortunately I put a second shot into it because I thought it wasn't a uh, good shot, uh, and unfortunately again it was a good shot, So, <laughs> um, but it was sort of just a fish that I'd been invited out to be a Bodie for the day. And we had a weather window of about an hour and a half and uh, we got out through the heads and oh, we, were, we were launching the boat over the heads and I actually slipped and hit the throttle and we went faster over a wave and it, w- it was probably probably not the best day to go out but we got out there and um, within five minutes found the school. I put Eckhart and uh, Kaya on, um, on a school and uh, they both shot two fish and put the fish in the boat and we sort of turned around and we're heading back and saw another school and Eckhart asked me if I wanted to shoot a fish. And I jumped in and had a fish in the boat within uh, 10 minutes. So, um, And I remember after I shot the fish, I come up and I turned around to uh, Kaya and I was like, that's how it's done. And, um, yeah, put the fish in the boat and then realised the size of it. And, uh, yeah, I was, 
I was I wasn't upset. I'm I'm happy with what I've got. So yeah, yeah I was just happy to shoot another fish. I think Cam and I ate a bit of that um, tuna when we were at the sinkhole. Yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah. Um, you ate Eckhart's fish, but yeah, um, yeah we um. We went out and that was the day that we shot the tuna and um, we bought back Eckhart's fish for the catch and cook. Yeah. And um, Cheapers are a good eating fish. Ridiculously good. Like um, tuna's got a stigma about it now it's due to so sort of, you know, we, we get tin tuna and it's easy to kind of dismiss it, you know. Um, I've been to Japan. I've had like their sashimi and stuff. But I'll tell you what, Eckhart's sashimi of southern bluefin, probably some of the best fish I've eaten. Oh, absolutely. And the thing is, like, it's all about how you look after your fish from the moment that you shoot that fish to the moment that you eat it. Um, you, Eckhart always says to me that you can't eat southern bluefin the day that you've shot it. It's just not good. It doesn't taste the same. You, He looks after his fish. He puts it in the fridge. He dry ages his fish. Um, and he keeps it in the fr- fridge like that. Um, and after about three to five days, it builds that flavour where it, it's great for sashimi. We um we had sashimi with James and Sam um on our trip up there, um when Sam flew down and it's like the best thing like it was the best meal that we ever had. We were all sitting around the table and we're in a food coma. Like, <laughs> the, the fish melts in your mouth. It's yeah. just unreal. <laughs> Another one of your big passions is um, getting juniors into the sport. So walk us through. Is there a local spearfishing club you're involved with here? Um, not in Portland, but um I try and get. Uh, I have a lot of juniors that contact me through Instagram and contact Jamie and myself on the Too Fresh page. And um, so, we, Too Fresh, tell us the Too Fresh. Where's that? Where do we can so, find that? So, uh, Too Fresh was a thing that Jamie and I, or well, I started um, early on, and then sort of Jamie came along and um, he stopped his t- uh, seasick films and uh, began Too Fresh with me. And we sort of started making, making YouTube videos about catching craze and diving in the southwest. And um, it's sort of a, an Instagram page that's grown up now. We're at about eight, uh, 1.8K. We're starting to get there, starting to get a bit of a following and yeah, cool. um, starting to progress. So, yeah. Two Fresh Productions on Instagram. Two Fresh Productions on Instagram. I'll link that up in today's show notes at noobspiro.com forward slash AARON. <laughs> yeah, that's me. <laughs> yeah, cool. All right, so Two Fresh Productions. So you, you said um, the juniors are reaching out to you through there? Yeah, yeah. So I, I actually had a um, – it was a school pro- project – and um, a lot of people sort of contacted me and asked me, oh, can we can we come out diving? And I've had some juniors contact me and uh, want to go out diving. And I've taken some out to get abalone sometimes and uh, shoot sweep and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of kids around the town where they don't have anyone to show them and they don't have anyone to sort of show them what fish to, to shoot and what's okay to take and what size is right. They, um, they don't know how to tell, so... I feel like having someone there to teach them is is great, mm. and I love teaching people and getting them into the sport. Like, um, it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. It's the best thing I've ever done. Mm. Um, I love my sport, and it's, it's the only sport that I've only been that I've really been good at. And if I can help people um, that were at the age that I started get into the sport, like they could be shooting fish like I'm shooting mm. now mm. Um, at the age that I'm at. And I encourage people to go out there. Like, it is doable. It's not. Like shooting a tuna, it's it's hard, but if you put the work in and you put the effort in to go out and do it, anyone can do it. And um, I, I want juniors to go out there, and I encourage my record to be broken. I want people to go out and do that. Yeah, um, yeah like I, I caught my first my first cray two years ago, and it was over in South Australia, and I got called one fish uh, by the people who where who I caught it because it was four point three kilo, <laughs> and um, I sort of showed everyone up on the day, and oh, it was just unreal. I 
back um a junior catching a fish like that is just unheard of so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um and that's why i encourage people to do it cuz mm. you can do anything one of the big problems i see a lot is like experienced spiros um like yourself cuz you you've been going a couple of years now you kind of forget um, what what it is that you know? Do you know what I mean? You get that, you know. There's a learning process, and 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 after a while of doing something, you've forgotten actually what you've learned and how you've gotten to where you are now. Um, when you are talking to sort of these these new guys, um, what's the sort of advice you're giving them? Um, sort of take it as it comes. Like, don't put yourself uh, into the sport too fast. Like, you don't want to um, do everything at once, but you you do still want to sort of start off with a hand spear um, is my biggest advice. Um, if For anyone that's sort of making that jump into the water and wanting to start hunting fish, start off with a hand spear, go out there and learn your species before you, you go shooting stuff because I've seen kids, um, especially here in my local waters, and they're going out and they're shooting anything and it's it only takes one person to sort of go down there and educate them like, oh, you, you, you know that's, that might be undersized or, or that might... That, that fish I don't think you're allowed to shoot it or it's not great eating like educate those people that are getting into the sport and if you see some young kids um while you're driving past or you're, you're walking past go show them like oh yeah look I, I dive myself um and giving that it's just education like you, you just got to educate them cool awesome man um so no local spearfishing clubs in this area where are the closest um, ones the closest ones I think Geelong Freedivers and uh Surf Coast Freedivers, I think there's a new one that's um, started up. I'm not too sure. Don't don't quite be on that. Okay, cool, cool. Hey Shrek, Jeremy here, man. I'm back. Just wanted to say the podcast is growing from strength to strength, my friend. Hoorah, man. I just wanted to say thank you for your uh, continual support from the Noob Sparrow listeners, subscribing, reading, writing, and submitting kick-ass spearfishing adventures from all over the planet. Your listeners kick ass and Shrek, my friend, so do you. All you guys, come check out the next edition of Spearing Magazine at spearingmagazine.com. Jeremy out. Are you in the market for a new spear gun? Killshot Spear Guns has got blue water wahoo tuna guns, open track spear guns, enclosed track spear guns, rear handle enclosed tracks. Check them out at killshotspearguns.com. Even better, I've got some good news for you. You can save $30 on any Killshot Spear Gun at killshotspearguns.com. Use the code NOOB. If you're in store, just say crikey mate, or say Shrek from the Noob Spiro sent you, and you'll save $30. Ed Martin at killshotspearguns.com. Check them out. So Spiro Q&A, it's a faster round of questions. Um, who has been the single most influential person in your spearfishing journey so far? Jamie. Jamie Cannon, yeah. Yeah, uh, he's, as I said, he's my best mate. And um, he's who inspired me to, to, to start spearing and we progressed together and we've um, caught great fish together. We've, we dive 90% of the time and we just work off each other. And um, he's just been just inspiring to listen to and inspiring to learn from his He's not just my best mate, he's like an older brother to me. Yeah, awesome. And, um, yeah, he just, he looks after me and he took me under his wing and taught me everything he knows and now we're, we're battling out for bigger crayfish and we're, um, 
they're both as good as each other. Like, um, it's it's fantastic. Did he come away on the course with you? He didn't, unfortunately. Um, he got tied up with work, but I knew he would have loved to be there. Yeah, cool. All right. Um, what about like learning resources for new Spiros? Where do you point people? Um, especially to your podcast. Um, I love. Uh, sharing the New Spiro podcast. I put a lot of people when I was over in South Australia onto the podcast. Um, watching people like Daniel Mann, he's fantastic. Um, he's got a lot of things that uh, teach you sort of how, how to rig your spear gun, sort of how to hunt fish. Ryan Myers um, is great. His techniques, even though he's like, that we're diving here in Victoria and we're not diving in tropical clear water to extreme depths, the same principles apply. Like, um, you can be sitting on the ground and um, putting your grunting techniques, your dusting techniques, all that sort of stuff. It, it all comes into play. Hmm. Okay, what's your dream spearfishing destination and fish? My dream destination and fish. Um, I'd love to shoot a dog tooth in Vanuatu. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, there's it's sort of something that's always sat in the back of my mind. I'd, I'd love to shoot a doggy. Um, but there's also fish like um, like a 25, 30 kilo kingy off New Zealand, the, the home country. Yep, yep. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Um, what, last last question. Um, could you describe what the spearfishing experience means to you in one or two sentences? Enjoy it. Take it for what it is. And uh, go out there, shoot fish, enjoy it with your friends and family, and uh, make the most of it. Cool. Um, tell everyone where people can come and find you and connect with you, Aaron. Um, all around Victoria. I'll travel to meet you. Um, I love uh, the community here in Victoria. There's some great people. And um, if you use the Facebook groups or anything like that, or contact me on my Instagram, and we can organise something and tear it up. I'm looking at uh, travelling up the east coast of Australia and um, hopefully over to WA at the end of this year um, to spear with Tao over there. And um, I, I want to do a lot of that sort of stuff. So um, if you want to contact me, I'll, I'll dive with anyone. So, um, yeah, yeah, contact me. I'm getting, getting contact. So where can people connect with you on Instagram? How, what's your address? A. Edmonds Photography, uh, A. Edmonds Photography, or uh, the Two Fresh Productions page. Um, I'll answer on both of them. And, um, yeah, just get in contact with me. I, I love diving with like, new people, and I love learning from others as well. Sick, Aaron. I'm looking forward to following your journey for years to come, man, and um, we're going to end up doing a round two interview in a few years, I'm sure, After, especially after all of your travels. You'll have a whole bunch more stories and having met a whole bunch more cool sparrows, man, and, and you are one of those people yourself. So um, enjoy what you're doing, man, and just keep um, sharing the froth and the stoke, and uh, I'm looking forward to following you along on your journeys on Instagram, man. So cheers. Thanks, Rick. Aaron Edmonds, everyone, an absolute legend, young slaying Spiro statesman. Had an absolute bull chatting with Aaron. I was on a patron-funded trip down there in South Australia doing my Stage 2 freediving certificate and some live interviews. Um, so thanks to the patron legends that supported me. If you want to become a patron listener, go to patreon.com forward slash Uh Generally, well, not generally, all of the money raised from Patreon gets used to fund trips where I get to come out and meet listeners. Um do interviews on the road and actually go spearfishing so thanks to the 41 patrons that uh, have helped fund this and uh, yeah if you if that's if that's you patreon.com forward slash noobspiro for me that's it for today I'm out oh sorry actually sorry 
In one week's time, we're off to chat with Old Man Blue from WA, makes incredibly hard-wearing spearfishing gear. Check him out at oldmanblue.com, I think .com.au. Old Man Blue, see you in two weeks. Adreno stock all the equipment noobers need for freediving and spearfishing. The Adreno spearfishing team will help and advise you about equipment, diving, trips, dive locations for spearos and aspiring spearos of all levels of experience. Visit them in store or chat to one of their friendly team members. They've got stores in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane and Perth and there's a new one on the way. Also, don't forget to take advantage of the Noob Spiro discount code and save $20 on every purchase over $200. That's right, you can now use the code Noob Spiro in store. Yeah. Today's Noob Spiro podcast is brought to you by Neptonics.com. For US divers, Neptonics is the one-stop shop for all of your spearfishing essentials. They've got free shipping on every order over $99. Now you can use the Noob10 code to save 10% off anything and everything store-wide. 10% off store-wide. Use the code Noob10 at Neptonics.com. Boom. Boom.